Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. This is one of the best galleries in the city, and uh, thank you so much to Eileen, the owner, for hosting us, and we'd love to have you. Thank you. Uh, on display that you are also very welcome and encouraged to take a closer look at after the show. Welcome, everyone. So happy to have you here. So happy that the weather is cooperating. Um, we're Block Gallery here in Brownsville right now. Um, we've been here maybe 13 years. Um, we have an event space next door and the gallery here, and the goal of the gallery is to support and promote typically African-American emerging artists, folks from the neighborhood or, or younger folks coming out of school that want to have a chance to express themselves artistically. Um, this happens to be a little bit of a different kind of a show. Parrish Lewis is a professional photographer. He works for Vogue, he works in movies, he works for all the stars, but he wanted to express himself as an artist, as more of a creative artist. And so this is his work that is celebrating the 50th anniversary. He turned 50 and hip hop turned 50, so what he said is he wanted to um, work with what music meant to him in his photographs. So if you'll see, um, he's got lots of uh, folks that are known out and about in Chicago and elsewhere, and he tries to infuse the work with um, a spirit of movement and hip-hop and what it would like look like if they were dancing. So some of you know George Daniels, there's the guy who does uh, tap dancing all over the city, there's some folks that you may know from the city. But um, we're happy to have Maya and Ben and the panel here because we are big fans of their work and just exposing things that need to be exposed in Chicago, and I hope you'll have a, um, a pleasant and informative evening. So thank you for coming. Keeping things 
before we get going. Uh, once again, thank you to everybody who registered ahead of time and uh, threw a couple of bucks our way. We take donations for the show here today. So if you did register, um, thank you. And uh, if you did not, that's totally fine. But if you feel like throwing a couple of bucks our way, there's a jar up front uh, as you enjoy refreshments or whatever. That's there if you feel so inclined. No pressure, no obligation. Um, the second thing is we have a little bit of an uh, audio challenge here, which is that this is our only working mic. So rather than passing it back and forth, we are going to project and just speak loudly as we as we uh, as we have our discussion tonight. And when we get to the uh, Q&A portion of the show, uh, the second half of the show, we'll uh, have the mic up here. So um, I'll uh, let you all know um, when um, you can start lighting up and if you'd like to say your questions into the mic you can do that and if you feel confident in your ability to project you can do that as well um, the show is being recorded so we have a recorder uh, up, up front um, because ben um, releases the audio of the program on the ben jarofsky show his podcast For those who didn't make it, they can they can uh, catch up with uh, our discussion that way. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Ben, do you Well, I just want to uh, do a uh, practice run here without the mic. So I got a big mouth and I speak loud. Uh, so can everybody hear me? Yes. Is there any problem hearing me right now? Okay, if I told you that Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor was in the house, can everybody understand that? I just stuck that one in there. <laughs> so, uh, all right, uh, I speak loud. Um, I hope my guests speak loud. Uh, if you have trouble hearing us, I have no pr pr problem with the guests sharing the mic. Maya and I speak loud. So, you know, uh, that's how it goes. Can we put the mic next to this? Like, if we put it here, will it be a problem? No. Okay. So we'll, we'll have the mic up here in case you all feel like you'd rather say into the mic. Uh, and then folks at the edges, especially if you, if you want to get closer, there's plenty of seats over here. Very appropriate for an education theme show that like front row over here is just like untouched. Um, so to, to get us started, uh, Ben, why don't you tell, it, tell us about why we wanted to do this education show uh, as we head into this new school year. And uh, yeah, we'll have our panelists tell us a little bit about themselves. All right, so it's sort of a first Tuesday tradition to do a school show uh, at the start of every year. Uh, and this is the first time we've ever done one on the south side. Uh, we used to be consistently on the north side. Uh, and then we learned, we woke up one day and learned that there was another part of the city other than the North Side. <laughs> so it took me a while, but I learned it. Uh, and so, I, usually on the North Side, I thank whichever South Sider has showed up to the North Side, because this city, if you know anything about the city of Chicago, it's like there's a line, and you can't go across that line if you're on this side. 
So I always thank the people from the south side who showed up and we're in the north yes. side. I now want to thank all the north siders in the audience. I see a few here in the front row. Frank, I like Frank to you. Mike Girardi came all the way from Beverly, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, the entire city of Chicago is represented here. Uh, this is, of course, a citywide issue. Chicago Public Schools, uh, every neighborhood depends on it, one way or the other. Uh, every parent depends on it, they freak out. Uh, I, I even know a few parents close to the microphone who may be coming into that freak out mode as they figure out what's best for their kid. Uh, and will this system, the Chicago Public School system, meet the needs of their kids? And when you think about the needs of a kid, they vary. Chicago Public Schools has a huge challenge. You got some kids who jump out of bed in the morning, they're ready to go, they're really smart, they're self-motivated, they're reading at a young age, they're like all ready for college by the time they're 10. And then you got other kids like me. We struggle a little bit, we have our issues. What, I have my issue with dyslexia, lifelong fight with it. So I really can relate to kids. That, I guess we didn't call them anything back when I had it, but I think now special ed kids or what have you. So it's, a, it's just a challenge for the Chicago public schools. I try to respect the public schools for that reason, because for a lot of people, you open your door, that's your school, that's your option. Other parents, they understand the system, they got more money, they can navigate it, they can figure out the magnet school systems, they can figure out the testing programs, and if all else fails, they got money to pay for private school. Mm -hmm. So I understand there's a universe of challenges for each parent, I understand there's a universe of options that parents face, but the reality is Chicago Public Schools, they gotta be there for everybody. And there's a limited amount of money in the city of Chicago right now. Alderman Taylor could tell us all about it. The first thing they're gonna do, we got this new mayor, we got uh, a new school board, and the first thing they're gonna come face to face with is how are we gonna raise the money to meet all the needs of all the children who depend on the Chicago public schools? How are we gonna pay our teachers an adequate amount of money? How are we gonna raise the money to pay our pension obligations? Etc. and so forth. Now the principals have organized the union. So Troy Laravier is going to be knocking on the door looking for money for his staff. So it's always a challenge with the Chicago Public Schools. That was a challenge before I was around, it was a challenge while I was around, and it will be a challenge after I have moved on. So with that, these distinguished panelists are going to help us figure out the challenges that we're facing right now, and they each bring their own perspective to the game. So I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves uh, and say your background and what your expertise is and what particular areas that you would like to discuss today. We'll start with Megan over there. Go ahead. And mention what school community you're connected to. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Megan Franklin. I live in the Woodlawn community. My children go to Woodlawn Community School, which is one of the small community schools of CPS. I also have worked for CPS since I was about 19, so just rounding out about 10 years. Um, I've worked in the capacity as a college and career um, counselor for high schoolers, as a substitute teacher, and also as the resources and training coordinator for our STLS program in CPS, which is the program that handles our students in temporary living situations. 
Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Muiz Bawani. I'm a school teacher at North Grand High School. I'd be remiss if I didn't say hoot hoot because we're the Eagle Owls. My principal will listen to this. Uh, she's a big fan of yelling that every morning. Um, wakes us up. Uh, I am a CPS kid. I went to Clinton Elementary School. I uh, was blessed to be in a community uh, and to be at a school where teachers loved us um, regardless of what we brought to the classroom. Uh, I am here predominantly because of my librarian, Ms. Zolt, because of my math teacher, Mr. Cislick. That's just naming two wonderful teachers at Clinton who cared about each and every one of us to the extent that they wouldn't leave us alone when it came to us making choices after we left Clinton and our lives beyond. Uh, as a teacher, I'm going into my seventh year. Uh, I've taught every single subject. Uh, when I was at Clemente my first year, they were like, hey buddy, we're gonna give you five preps. We're gonna have you teach five unique classes. We're gonna try to make you survive. Um, it was one of the toughest years, but it also was a sincere reminder of how important schools are, how important communities are, and what schools mean to all of us. Uh, I've been at North Grand, I'll be heading into my third year. Uh, beyond that, I've uh, been in the Chicago Teachers Union as a delegate, a district organizer, uh, the chair for the housing committee. We did a lot of work around getting police officers out of schools, uh, supporting folks during the early stages of the pandemic. Uh, and also, um, one of my favorite things that, you know, Ben loves is uh, I coach basketball, girls basketball. Um, it's, it's a blessing. So I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I have the best job in the planet, and I'm grateful to say that every single day when I wake up. Thank you. Um, hey, y'all. It's your girl, Ling. My name is Ling Young. I am a 2020 high school graduate from Hyde Park Academy. I am self-proclaimed, as some people would say. I'm the daughter of Woodlawn. I grew up in Woodlawn my whole life. I went to Paul Revere Elementary School and then I went to Hyde Park and now I am a senior, upcoming senior at UIC. Um, I am the Chief of Staff of the Education Committee for the Ooh. City of Chicago. This um, yes. um, is chaired by Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. Um, I've been working with Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor uh, since I was 16 years old. I started on her campaign as a, a phone banker and I moved my way up. Um, into squeezing away into the office. <laughs> and I was an intern for probably a year, and then I moved my way up to the Director of Youth Services and Violence Prevention. I have a very unique background. I come from um, a lot of things. I come from um, a failed system where it was meant to be neglected. And so coming from the South Side and coming from small feeder schools, I have, um, I'm here because I'm a representation of what happens when you are not neglected by your community. And so High Park, High Park and CPS uh, has done a, a huge disservice to the students that um, go from the South Side and try to advance beyond just being a South Sider or a, just a student in CPS. Um, I am living proof that CPS is not making you college ready, it's making you ready to just move on in life. And so I had to relearn everything when it went to college, when it went to how it is to be an adult. And um, I advocate, and I'm also an organizer. I'm the best organizer on the South Side. Um, so I, yeah. And so I have a. <laughs> now, one of the best. <laughs> the best. Um, I am. I mentor 15 to 30 young people from Hyde Park right now to get them civically engaged into their community. And that's how I build a bridge between community and civic engagement. But also, I'm one of the lead organizers of Cops Out of CPS. So I am. Um, 
I'm one of the leading organizers of Cops Out of CPS. So me, when I was my senior year in college, I mean high school, me and my sister, my sister right there was a freshman. And we had to share the same computer in the same household. And so they prioritized me as a senior student before the freshman student in the household. And I seen that that was the issue. But we also seen that CPS was paying CPD, CPD $30 million to just stand in the school. We had an officer that didn't see us. We had an officer that never said anything to us. But due to the contract, they were not able to be a part of our community. So what were they there for? And so um, I burst through that pipeline of being a very much so abolitionist, a black abolitionist woman. I do believe that we protect us and we protect each other and whose community? Our community. And so that's kind of why I'm here. And you're also part of the Hyde Park. Oh, I'm Academy also. LSC. <laughs> yes, I'm also part of the Hyde Park uh, LSC. I'm the community rep. Awesome. All right. So to, to get us rolling, I'd like each of you guys to um, tell the audience a little bit about what, like paint a picture of your school that you're connected to, whether it's the school your kids go to, the kid, the school you teach at, the, kid, the school that you're representing on the LSC. Um, tell us a little bit about like the situation at the school. When you're trying to describe, you know, what are your needs and what are your strengths as a school community, like what's going on at, at the school that you're currently connected to? Um, I'll start. Uh, I actually want to do a compare and contrast. So I just recently, this past school year, was working as a substitute teacher. I worked at two schools in Inglewood uh, with my firsties, my first graders, at um, the less, I always say it wrong, and then I had sixth, seventh, and eighth graders at MLK Academy. Um, my children attend Woodlawn Academy, so I was really able to see the difference in um, funding and availability of teachers and how school, uh, that stable school structure really helps students. So at my children's school, they've pretty much had the same classmates four to five years. Um, the teachers, the staff doesn't really change that much. They have maybe 400 children. At the schools I was teaching at, they had maybe 600 to 800 students. Most of the teacher staff, uh, staff positions were filled by substitute teachers like myself. Um, they couldn't find the correct staffing, um, and that really caused a lot of other issues. So um, it seems like there's sort of two paths that schools can take, and it just really depends on your area that you're in, who picks you up. So like my kids' school, they are picked up by the University of Chicago. They have all these other opportunities because of where they're connected. However, the less is down the street and doesn't have seekers. They don't have enough staff to take people to the bathroom. They don't have the basic things that you need. So that drive is three minutes away and it's that world of a difference. Um, so just imagine like all of the students that are falling through the cracks at our schools where a university doesn't think that they are worth looking into. A, a chance the rapper doesn't want a choir at that school. So I think the a huge problem is that schools here rely way too much on relationships. Um, and we know Chicago, Windy City, you gotta know somebody. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to education, all of these kids are somebody. Mm -hmm. They're all somebody's kid. So I think we really, have to just focus on leveling the playing field, even if in our communities that we consider poorer, it's still just a great, I 
don't know what the word. Um, it's just a great difference, I would say, um, in what's going on in schools. I think a smaller schools definitely protect students. In the larger schools, it's way easier to get lost in the system for people to not know what's going on with you. And I think even though our school, uh, my kid's school has experienced some budget cuts, they did start back school fees this year. Um, it hit them a lot less hard because they were there were less staff, less students, and more focused on just that community. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I want to say so. I started out at Roberto Clemente Community Academy, and uh, you know, I will always love that place. And one of the beautiful things about such a school like that, so many legends that I look up to in teaching have walked through that school. Um, but it was it was really. I think around my third year when I was there, I kind of realized where I'm like, I don't think I can do this, right? I don't think I could teach. Uh, and then, you know, we had budget things, and that was always a concern and a lot of anxiety amongst us educators is, you know, what's going on with the budget? Student populations are dropping. You're, is your job safe? Uh, and then also being put through this cycle of, you know, consistent observation and consistently being looked at and reviewed and not knowing what's coming around the corner. Um, and then I went to North Grand, and I wanna say this is where I really learned at a really teacher-specific level the importance of having educators in a school for a long time. You know, the average educator when I was at Clemente was there for two years. At North Grand, it was eight. And I remember walking into Clemente in my sixth month and people being like, well, you're the expert. You gotta help out some of these new teachers who've been hired. And I'm like, I forgot my printer code. Like, I don't think you want to depend on someone like me, right? And then I remember walking into North Grand and like kind of having a semi-meltdown on my first day and like having, being literally in a triangle of a teacher that had been teaching for 11 years, 28 years, 17 years, right? And then you sit back, you start looking, the school demographics are the same, Clemente and North Grand. Certain things match up. Now obviously they're not the same, but they match up. But you see that one school is functioning at a level where there seems to be cohesion while the other school is just trying to make it through every single day. And you know, I sat back at the end of my first year at North Grand, I'm like, yeah, I could, I could retire a CPS teacher. Uh, so I'm really grateful for this school. And I also, the pivot from being someone in a school that is perpetually an underdog school to a school that is not an underdog, it's, it is still a neighborhood school, but it does have students, and unfortunately in our city, the amount of students you have connects to how much money you have and resources you have. It, it really, again, to me, kind of reinforced the reality that people speak about in Chicago public schools. It is wild that you, depending on the block, the zip code, you know, depending on all these different things that are not in the control of children, and definitely not in the control of working people who have been failed by the city, that it could change the entire trajectory of generations of people. And that's kind of been my experience as an educator. At a, at a, at a deeper level, some of the things to talk about our community is also over these last few years, is also understanding what have our students been, have been through during the pandemic, right? I think every single school in Chicago has talked about the need for more hands, but specifically social workers, counselors, folks who can mediate, because our young people have come back and they've been in crisis. There was a crisis prior to, and now there's a different crisis, and we're still working through it. And having to teach these last few years it's just been very much 
informative to my teaching and my humanity to also know of the realities that our young people go through. Like we might be a school that has a STEM program. We look beautiful on the outside, but then so many of our students are living below poverty. Mm -hmm. Many of our students are STLS students. Mm -hmm. And then also diving deeper into like the impacts your students go through when they couldn't get a bus, right? Especially if they were a special education student. Hi, Miriam. Um, these realities exist on a day-to-day -day basis and don't leave you. And they make you as an educator, regardless of where you came from, whether it was someone like me who was evicted three times as a kid, or someone like my colleague who came from Iowa and is like, my God, it's wild, it's wild here, right? Like she always says, she's like, I have no clue. And I was like, but what do you think? She's like, I think every single student and their family deserves to have a champion and we should be uplifting them and they should be leading them. And that's what makes this school special because we're cohesive, but we also haven't lost the reality of what our young people deal with. Um, so like, I'm coming from a CPS student perspective and I was not a top 10 student, I wasn't an honor roll, well, I was honor roll, but that's a long story. Um, but I only was honor roll for my soft, for my freshman year, my sophomore year, and then my senior year. But I had so much happen to me within the school. And one thing about Hyde Park, or one thing about CPS in general, not even Hyde Park, was that they never asked if you are okay. They never wanted to hear what I had to say, but they always wanted to react to what I did. And I always tell people that you never pay attention, y'all always pay attention to the students that are the overachievers, the ones that do the most, the ones that are flexible enough to bend. But what about the ones that are not able to bend? And I was one of those students. I had 13 fights my freshman year. I didn't, yes, I was, yeah. I gave my life to God and I started, you know, working for the city and stuff. You can't go, I can't go to jail. I love my good job. And I, in my sophomore year, I was just, it was crazy, but it because of where I came from. I'm from the pocket. I'm from 70th and Kimbark. All I had was to do was fight. We was in the middle of a gang war my whole high school career. If you know about Pocket Town and you know about Sircon, you know that you couldn't even take the certain but you couldn't even take a certain bus. I couldn't even take the 71st home. If I had to cross 71st in Dorchester, I had to fight my way to Kimbark. And Dorchester and Kimbark is, if you know, not even a block away from each other. They just, if you on Dorchester, you got the next one is Kimbark. And I had to fight my way through this. And no one ever asked me, Ling, what is going on at home? Why do you, why do you feel like you gotta put your hands on people? Why do you feel like that the only way you can articulate that you're hurting me or you're making me feel some type of way is if I use my hands? Until I met one social worker. And she wasn't even a full-time social worker. She was our part-time social worker that was hired from the University of Chicago to sit in our school because they did a study and saw that it was a behavior issue in Hyde Park. That's the only reason why we got that. We didn't get that from CPS. CPS didn't pay her. The University of Chicago paid her to come in here part-time, three days a week, to talk to umpteen students. She was talking from freshman to senior, and I only had an hour, not even an hour, a class period with her. It, I had so much going on between home and school that no one in between home and school said, Lane, calm down. Let's talk about it. Let's move on from this. And so I fought, not even physically, but mentally. And I fought so much to the point where I had a mental breakdown. 
And it was, so, it was a blessing that I had my social worker's cell phone number. And I just called her and I cried. And she, it was like 12 o'clock at night. And she's not even like, not even on the clock. She answered. And I cried and I cried and I just told her what was going on in my life. And then I said, I think I'm going to do something to myself. And the whole, my whole world stopped because she immediately made sure that someone was coming to my house to make sure I made it to school, one. And two, when I got to school, I couldn't go to class. I couldn't do nothing. I stayed in that office until I talked to someone, talked through my feelings, and talked to what I had going on. And that was a, a pivoting point in my life. But most importantly, the one thing that really held me together was joining my community org. I'm from STOP, Southside Together Organizing for Power. And I'm the youth organizer there. So, coming from that community of people, coming from a, a background of people seeing me fall and they picking me up and saying, no, 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 Lane, we got high expectations for you. Even meeting all the woman Jeanette Taylor, she would never, she would never let me throw a fish, she would never let me do nothing because she would look at me and say, I have high expectations for you because you deserve to win. When she picked me up, I was 16 years old, I was coming to, to her office every day with my same school clothes on. And she always looked at me and said, what's wrong with you, Ling? And I'd never tell her what was going on until I had to bring my sisters and stuff to work with me one day. And she was like, hold on, this ain't something right. And so she wouldn't let me go out, she wouldn't let me canvas, she wouldn't let me do nothing. She set me up in that room and said, I ain't no therapist or nothing, but you're gonna have to say something to me. Cause ain't, this ain't gonna continue to keep going on. And I had a work ethic of a mule. I never sat and said, I, have to, I thought about I had to make money to make sure my sisters ate. I wasn't thinking about talking to no lady, no 40-something-year-old lady about my life. Like, what's what? <laughs> like, you old enough to be my mama. Like, I don't want to talk to you about anything. So I said, if my parents wasn't there for me, what makes you think in any world that a politician would be there for me? You running for all of them, lady. You got so much going on. Why are you worried about me? But these people carried me and still carry me. I had no family at my graduation party when I graduated from high school. No family. But guess who was there? Everybody that's sitting right there. My whole, that's my family. And they made sure that I had money for school. I had bus fare. Joy Clendidi gave me, school. she had so much money for my graduation. If you know Miss Joy, oh, you know Miss Joy. And she made sure I had buku money for my graduation year. She said, because you are awesome. You are smart and you deserve this. Like that's, that's what people talk to me. And growing up on 70th and Kimbark, you don't nobody tell you that. I'm a little light-skinned girl from 70th and Kimbark. All I got was, hey, shorty, you pretty. <laughs> that's about it. And coming from that thing, I never had, I never called school home. I never had a community where I felt like in school that anybody cared about me. My counselor didn't care. My social worker, the only social worker cared. My teachers did not care because they were mostly there for a check. That Hyde Park community, they are just now getting themselves together because they see that what they do impacts the learning of these students. That is not impactful learning. Coming to school for a check is not impactful teaching. Coming to school for a check is not impactful teaching. And as long as I'm part of this community, I will make sure that that won't happen again. And I see a pattern of what happens to us as students when no one says, are you okay? Do you need help? Are you hungry? What's going on at home? 
No, and it's a pathline. It's a it's a pathline of unforgetting students. Like you said at Woodlawn. Woodlawn is uh, the smallest of the feeder schools, and no one goes up in there and say, "What do this school need?" Like we, everybody drive past. You drive down 67. You drive past it every single day, and no one even pays attention to it. That's what goes on in Woodlawn. That's what goes on in our community. We see our friends get shot. We see our brothers and sisters get shot. We see everything happen to us, and then we have to go to school the next day. So there's one theme that unites the three of you, what you had to say. Uh, and if I could boil it down, it, was, it is a struggle mm -hmm. to go to the Chicago Public Schools. It is a struggle to depend on the people that run the city to adequately take care of the Chicago Public Schools. So we started with your personal uh, like sort of like the micro story, the smaller story. Now build it out. We'll start with, we'll go this way, uh, Louise uh, and then Megan and then Talene. So do you have any hope that it's going, I mean, I look around the room, I see Jeanette Taylor, I remember her at Mollison, right here in the front row, Lois, I remember her fights with the libraries. Everything is a fight. People come to me to write a story about it, like that's gonna do something. <laughs> Okay, I'll write a story about it, but it's good luck, Jeanette. And so, I've been doing this. School board coming in. Hey, we have a new school board coming in, uh, and they they are of you. You know, they're lefties. They're they're most of them are organizer types. Uh, you got a, a a lefty mayor. So, do you have hope that like going forward? People like you will be listened to. Uh, the needs that you're describing will be met. Uh, that you're being taken seriously, uh, or is it going to be more of the same? I don't know. What? Where are you feeling right now? But you just laid out the needs and the challenges. Now let's talk about expectations. Expectations, and we'll start with you, movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right now um, in our town, we have a special education committee meeting happening. That's wild. You know, Mary Hughes is on the board. That's amazing. You know, John Ann Shee's on the board. That's amazing. Rudy Lozano Jr. I'm, I'm hopeful as hell. But, you know, living in Chicago, you get emotional because, you know, this morning you see folks at the Loretto Hospital striking for dignity, you know? And those folks, regardless of years and years from daily, I mean, even further back, people saying those folks are their issues, those are parents, those are community members, those are CPS families. Right, uh, I'm hopeful as hell. You know, I, I heard uh, this incredible older woman. Uh, I heard real estate folks crying for a little bit at uh, Bring Chicago Home hearing, and I heard this incredible older woman who might be here, uh, you know, point out some numbers and say four percent of these sales are over a million dollars, and six percent of us can only afford those homes. Right, and the statistics always get me sad, but then I'm like, damn, you know, who's dropping those statistics? It's older woman Jeanette Taylor. Right, um, and you know, where, what was Jeanette Taylor's story, right? I mean, it's far more, far, far, far more richer than just diet, but diet, right? Like, I mean, it's a good time. It's a good time, and I think, you know, one of the things that has given me perspective over the last six months is that, like, we have had to fight a lot. We have had to fight a lot. And we're not at a point right now where we're at a starting line 
Like, you know, I was telling Ben about this, imagine starting a game down 20 points. And that's what it is because Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Daly, right? A longer school day, the complete obliteration of SPED to the extent where the state had to take it over. A complete disregard for people, mm -hmm. for schools, for young people, for students, all this stuff. And we have to get to a point where we can actually be at a starting line and then push, and it requires patience, mm -hmm. right? Um, I know every, I mean, it was like Sherman Thomas was like, yeah, let's get mad at Brandon Johnson, who's been in charge for 40 days, <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah. But like, everybody's so eager, but in the same capacity, I'm sitting here being like, we just had a hearing on treatment, not trauma. We just had a hearing on bring Chicago home, right? Like. It was, thank you, I appreciate you. I've, that's been twice, I know we're gonna get some steam, I promise. Um, no, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic, right? I'm optimistic, I, I, but like, then again, I'm really biased because I go into the school day and I have so many reasons to be optimistic, right? Like I have, I, I was, man, this last school year, regardless of all the things and all the headaches, was like awesome, right? Like, and really, I, by the way, if you're wondering about the mustache, I just did it now because, by the 21st, those kids will be roasting me, so the beer should be back. Um, but like, that's what I'm optimistic about. I'm, you know, young people. And collectively as a city, like, I really have to be in a position right now to say, like, we are, we've always been patient, but now is the type of patience of like, hey, we're gonna start drilling away, right? Like, to hear the sub-minimum wage and see people you know, families you know, that are gonna be impacted by this, and we're, we're gonna get that, right? Like, these are momentous things. And again, like being here right now and seeing my phone constantly get updates from Sarah Karp, who's like at the meeting, thankfully, so you know, catch up, that's huge. Um, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it, I feel it, I really do. And um, you know, and, and I don't wanna ever get ahead of myself, but in this moment, like, it's wild, man. Like, we beat Paul Vallis, like y'all, People in this room understand what Paul Vallis does and what he did. And you know, like, like, I have a special love for Brandon Johnson because they assigned me Brandon as like a mentor. Like when I started and I remember being like, I can't do this and Brandon being like, what are you talking about? Like you'll be all right. And like one of the narratives that didn't get talked about, you had a public school teacher who saw, was, saw the destruction going on in our schools defeat the architect of that nonsense. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. someone who right. told folks in Little Village, I don't care if you're on hunger strike, mm -hmm. right? Multiple. Multiple times, and you saw him, in your face. right, you saw him right now pretend like if I just co-op movement language, I'll get enough of these folks. And we beat that guy, and we ran Ram off to Japan. Now there was a photo op that we all are traumatized by. There's a photo op we're all traumatized by. But I, I like to believe, as an English teacher, that there was a moment where Brandon gave him the middle finger. Hopefully at that moment, like he did to Karen, I hope. But yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic. You're really optimistic. I'm really optimistic. <laughs> a little too optimistic. I'm optimistic. Look, 12, you know, Every single thing, like I, you know, I became a teacher because I was just wandering around Northeastern. Karen Lewis happened to be speaking there. My first day at Northeastern, I was trying to leave the building. Dr. Erica Miners was in the hallway making copies. She's like, "You look lost," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm looking for my class." And I was hoping she would say, "Like, yeah, upstairs to the left," and then I could just sneak out, right? Like going back to school at 26. And she was like, "Oh, I'm your teacher." Why don't we walk up to the classroom? And the first thing we learned that day was about the school to prison pipeline. And I was like, 
dang, <laughs> I'm here. So, you know, it's it, reflecting on these journeys, like, you know, my dad would say consistently, sometimes we are cynical, we get pessimistic, and that's okay, but like the best way through it is just thinking about gratitude at the moment. I'm grateful, and I'm grateful, like, you know, I, there's no reason not to. Look who I'm sitting next to as well. I'm incredibly grateful. Fighters, fighters, fighters. Thank you. Optimistic. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I actually want to start by saying, Lynn, you told me that I looked familiar to you when we first met. I was actually at Hyde Park your freshman and sophomore year. I was your college and career coach. Yep. And I left Hyde Park because the funding ran out for Gira, which was a national program that helps students in underserved schools get to college. Mm -hmm. So that's where I saw you before. You were in that busted computer lab with me, trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, and, and so that just goes to show like that's what funding does. She was going through it. Mm -hmm. There were people there who cared. They said my job wasn't important and it's not like they replaced my job. Nope. I was the only college counselor in Hyde Park. They had two regular counselors that they really didn't even know the process. Um, once I left, it, that was just it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm, I'm just seeing so many <laughs> connections, but I'm still hopeful because what I do realize about my generation and the generation under me, the people that I've had a chance to educate, to counsel, they have seen nothing but me fighting, nothing but people in my class and my age range fighting from the 2013 strikes to the COVID strikes to the walkouts that Hyde Park had to the walkouts that Bogan had. We're the ones telling them, yeah, do it. Because we had to do it too. And it's, it's honestly teachers and staff and students against the world. Because everybody else is telling us we're crazy. Everybody else is telling us it's totally normal to have 30 people in your class. You don't need a seeker. You don't need a break. You don't need anything. You can just do it. We just have the right attitude. So I think because we are a generation of people who have known nothing but to fight mm -hmm. and also have experienced people taking away from us at every single turn, mm -hmm. we have no choice. Like she said, like she grew up to fight. I'm on a tennis union right now withholding rent. My kids don't know anything but doing what's right making it work. So I think that's why I'm so hopeful is because if you look around, all of us are fighting. We are all doing that work. So people have no choice, the younger generation has no choice but to pick it up and keep it going. Mm -hmm. I love that queen. I was thinking while I was watching, listening to and I, I want to be very, um, Politically correct is my boss still right here. Um, I'm very optimistic about what's going on. I work in between there in City Hall, and I see the way that we are still fighting, and and we have gotten very far. But do we really know what's next? And I've been here sitting in the middle of the fight. I've organized to get Brandon into office. I've organized to get Jeanette into the office. I organized, I even phone banked for Moise. So this, that was crazy when I first seen him. I was like, I phone banked for you. <laughs> um, and so it's, I see that we're still fighting and I see that some of us are still fighting amongst each other. 
and I don't I'm I am very optimistic that we will get there but we got four years and so that's what I'm optimistic about that we have four years to be able to make something shake because <laughs> I'm very um, I'm gonna say Larry I'm very leery about what can happen because a lot of people are not, people are rushing. Like, I feel like everything is rushed. Like, they feel like since we got Brandon here, since we got Jeanette here, since we got all these different chairs and stuff like that, they feel like we supposed to be throwing the kitchen sink at what's going on. And I don't, as a political analysis, I don't believe that we can right now. I think we have to take baby steps to get to where we are because people are actively fighting against us. You thought that Paul Vallis and them just dipped? No. They invested their money into something else. That's what happened. That's, the, that's what really happened. So we have to figure out how do we stay 10 steps ahead of them but still keep ourselves together. Because right now, we all shaking, but our, our palms are getting sweaty. Like, we're all, we're here. I'm sorry, we're here, but our palms are getting sweaty. And I'm ready to wipe my hands on my pants, and just, um, but I, we got to hold on. And I think that's why I'm optimistic. That's why I'm here, because I think we got to where we wanted. The, the, we broke the glass ceiling, but now we in orbit, and we're just like, Okay, we are adjusting to this new life. I'm not supposed to be 22 and a chief of staff. What? I am not supposed to be 22 and a chief of staff. But that's what happens when we break the ceiling. So now, me being this chief in this chief of staff role, what do I do to make sure that there's other 22-year-old black women in as the chief of staff and making sure that there's a pipeline where there's a leadership that people are taking Gen X as advisors. People are taking Gen X as someone or an entity that they can rely on to move on instead of looking at us and thinking that, oh my God, I gotta hold my purse. Oh my God, where are my Kia keys? Like we have, that's, that's what people think of us when they see us. And so I'm very optimistic because we have a lot of work to do and we have to relearn how to trust each other but most importantly relearn how to organize now because we ain't fighting too hard now we we swinging but we ain't pulling too much hair we ain't got to pull too much hair we ain't got to pull out the bleach and all the women Jeanette Taylor's words we ain't got to pull out the bleach but we're still fighting I think we need to learn how to continue to keep fighting but not amongst each other but with each other so You know, I we're gonna after this round of answers, we're gonna open it up to audience Q and A as well. I'm sure folks have lots of questions for you guys. But one thing I uh, wanted you guys to uh, speak on a little bit is um, the role of the local school council in your particular school community. Um, some people here might be quite familiar and active with their local school council. Some people might not know anything about it, and. Um, we're curious to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, what what are the benefits of it, and what can you really get done? Because there's a lot of talk about what is the school board going to do, what is the you know what is the mayor going to do, um, what are the top you know the people at the top going to do? But the, the the LSCs are really the grassroots power connected into any school, um, and um, yeah. So just talk a little bit about about. Um, what the what what the benefits are, what the limitations are, and and how it works at your particular school. Um, so for me, I don't have much experience with the LLC, LSC because I worked for CPS. It was always some type of mm -hmm. 
in the middle in conflict or something with time. With the LSC? Yes, not conflict like conflict, but conflict as in time because okay. I was doing so much other stuff also school related. Um, so for me, this will be my first year actually getting involved with the LSC because I finally left CPS and I have the time to like be with my family instead of everybody else. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, I'm definitely excited to, to get to know the LSC as a parent. Um, the LSC as a worker, as I was like a college counselor, I feel like those were the most concerned parents. Those were the parents I talked to the most to get uh, the vital information out to make sure that kids had all the tools they needed for success. So if I wanted to make sure that we had a workshop for people who maybe wanted to go into trades, I'm talking to the LSC so that they know and they can tell people in the community and they can bring it up. If we have things um, going for students, those are the people that I talked to to make sure that they were aware to get it out to the community, not just the school. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I'd be remiss not to say that I've kind of been waiting for the shoe to drop with um, one of the funniest names in CPS, LSCAP, which is the LSC Advisory Board. Um, man, those meetings, yeah. Is that oh man, yeah, it's just wild. So, you know, like, I think that's a component that I'm interested in seeing switch over, but like, when, if you've been on an LSC, if you've been through LSC meetings, you see how beautiful they are when they work. Um, and you see the context of a community really come to life when people tend to forget that the heart of a school is a community. Um, so I'm all for an extended amount of LSC democracy. I'm all for LSCs actually functioning and no mayor deciding when the LSC can decide and when they'll decide. I feel that's where we're heading towards. Uh, but also like, you know, when I think about LSCs and the entirety, the goal of how to get a community into a school and how to remind a school what a, how it should reflect a community, I also think about this project around sustainable community schools. Ooh, yes. And seeing a sustainable community school district. Yes. Like, that's around the corner, right? Like, yes. I don't know who did the analysis today, but like, I think Jen Johnson mentioned somewhere around 80 to 100 million, and I was, and like, you know, sometimes you just get the funniest articles where it's like you read you read Jen saying that's what we need to make 180 schools sustainable, and then you see we just paid out 280 million dollars in police misconduct. I'm like, man, I I see something, you know. Um, but like, for me, I would love to see the next few months be a huge piece of accessibility because one of the struggles with you know with our parents that they would be vo very vocal about from simple things which you know someone called out at the last board of meeting one we use too many damn acronyms and like so many of our parents are like you know when you're in a community like when i was at clemente so many of our parents are also struggling with like imposter syndrome and these things and like you need accessible trainings you need trainings that meet their time requirements mm -hmm. you also we should probably pay lsc members let me scratch that. We should pay LSC members, right? Like these type of things I'd like to see a shift towards, but the overall, the idea of parents, and especially now, or more recently, more young people on LSCs, that should excite every single person. Um, that's crazy. Y'all just got all these beautiful stories. Um, my experience on LSCs is, they, they on their way trying to kick me out again. Um, they try their hardest, High Park tries their hardest to get rid of me um, because I'm the far left 
And I believe that when it comes to community, that we are the ones. So the y'all know about the vote when it came to voting the SROs out. And I organized about 50 students to, to advocate for them to vote no. And guess what they did? Voted yeah. <laughs> they wanted to keep the one. And I was the only one that voted no. And before, when I first got on, they tried to remove me because I was giving them the hard facts. I let None of them read the contract. Y'all know that it's the SRO and CPD contract. If you read it, the things that y'all think the police should be doing, they should be walking or holding our kids' hands while they're walking across the sidewalk because they're, they can't even talk to them. They cannot tell a student good morning. They can only be a part of criminal activity. And so that's CPS that pays them. Yep. It's not the police budget that pays for them. Yep. Yes, CPS pays them. So that means that Lil Ray Ray, Lil Tay Tay, Lil Emily, Lil Molly are being deprived of resources because we feel like that we need to police these children. Most of where the SROs are are in black and brown schools. Mm -hmm. Oh, who y'all policing? Oh, okay, that's what I thought. This is intentional, and so I believe that LSC should be advised, really should be looked into because High Park, even High Park be having members that are not voted in. I had 50 votes. I am the highest voted in community, any, not even community rep, LSC member in general. I had 50 community members come out and vote for me. You know what my, the person who was going, to get me, going against me? 12. 13. This what shows that I'm deeply rooted in the Woodline community. This shows that I have people power, parent power, and also student power. This is what we do when we are people. We are community folk, driven folks. And they saw that as a threat and wanted to remove me. They see my position now as the uh, chief of staff of the education committee. Mind you, I get paid by the city. Want to remove me because they feel like I work too close to CPS. <coughs> This is what happens when you want to show change and you say, we are tired of these old 19, 1990 ways of thinking, a way of holding children back. They don't even have a student rep. If you look, there's no student rep at High Park and there has not been one. No student have voted on the SRO vote. No student. That's what shows. It should be three on there. You right, Queen? It should be three on there. There's not one student. And they rose it up because it was two when I first became an LSE. And it was outrageous. We never even seen a student rep when I was in school. And this is what happened. So I believe, I'm very optimistic about what goes on in LSE. But from my perspective of what happens when grown folks get too much power, because that's how I feel, when grown folks get too much power, they become secretive, they become clicked up, and they, this is what they do when you, they have one person who has the power of the people, who is able to sway people to thinking that. You see what is true? This is what we should move. I think they should be advised. I think they should be looked at every single, every time you have an LSC meeting, there should be someone from CPS or the city should be watching you all do what you all do because some people ain't doing it right. Some people are doing it, some people are doing a darn thing, but some people is not doing it right. And I am a victim of what, what happens when you say no. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm a little, you know, shaky about the LS. I'm a little shaky about the school board. I'm real optimistic about everybody at this point because it's like, what y'all gonna do? Y'all got all these good jobs, what y'all gonna do?
Are y'all gonna be able to say, are y'all gonna be able to make the reimagine the world that we've been fighting for the whole time? Or y'all gonna sit in these same seats and get the same checks as your predecessor and do the same stuff that your predecessor did? I'm not, I'm very optimistic about everybody, even Brandon. Oh, I'm sorry, Mayor Johnson. Wait, you're not optimistic about Mayor Johnson. I am very much so. I'm wanting to see, okay, you moving? I need you to start moving stuff and protecting the folks that I have been advocating for you to get up in this space. It is all the men and all the women out here that are very much so unprotected because they sat there and gave their all to the 20, to the mayoral campaign. Wait, I always forget. Okay, I'll start we, them. No, we, we should talk about acronyms and I get them all mixed up. Mm -hmm. What does SRO stand for? School Resource Officer. Thank you. I knew you would know. I was just testing. I want to make sure Jeanette Taylor knew what it was. So I want to take so, questions. So, yeah, you want to, um, uh, if folks have questions, I will uh, put this mic on the chair here and folks can line up. Uh, Frank, behind Frank over here. Uh, meantime, um, well, I guess you're already up here, Frank, so go ahead. Now, when the elected school board happens, what is going to, where are the plans are to beat back, like, the balance people from taking over when the elected school board happens, like, like, the Dick U line and all the balance crowd from taking over control when the, when the elected school board comes together? So they're going to put their money in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that this is a time for the LSCs to be, like I said, strong. If, if, no, if we are together and we know what our schools need, because CPS has a collective idea of what our students need, but when you are a part of the LSC, you know the immediate needs of what your students need. And so if they try to throw the kitchen sink, we got to put our people up there. Like we was putting our people up there. We, put our, we got some mayors. We got a mayor. We got aldermen. We at the point where we need to start making sure we got the school board that's leftist. We got to make sure that we are making sure that every there's no gaps in between. Yeah, I uh, I've been thinking about this, Frank, uh, where the city is going politically, mm -hmm. uh, because I watched the first um, what do they call it when they get together? There's a, uh, a vacancy and then they a slaying session, <laughs> and uh, Louise knows what I'm talking about on the north side. A state senator stepped down. Mm -hmm. She became deputy chief of staff uh, to Mayor Johnson. And the vacancy was not filled by the person that CTU wanted or mm -hmm. wanted. The vacancy went to someone who ran against uh, a CTU person. So I'm like, huh. So Brandon Johnson won that last election, but to your point, there is still resistance out there. Mm -hmm. It's not like, they are, you know, the people who lost are just walking away. And now there's a second vacancy, I noticed, mm -hmm. on the west side. Mm -hmm. uh, and they got Alderman Burnett's throwing his people, son in the yeah. race. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, well, we would go to a state representative of I just assumed she would get it. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm looking at the weighted vote, and I, I got to put my money, if I'm in Vegas, on Burnett's son. Mm -hmm. And so that is just a forerunner of all Every fight that's going to, in my humble opinion, is going to come down. These elected, you think this elected school board is just going to waltz in? Right. Nope. Uh uh. And uh, so I'm watching the city, how those budget votes going down, that 26 to 22 vote uh, on the police settlement. Jeanette, you know what I'm talking about? 
where I saw an interesting coalition mm -hmm. uh, come together to vote against what Mayor Johnson's lawyer said. Now, you could argue about that point, but I saw a coalition <laughs> come together that was like, is that the new conservative majority yeah. in the city? Okay. So, <laughs> you it, said it. That's the new conservative, and it's got. Uh, South Side, black representative, alderman in it, West Side, the from 27, 28, and 29 all lined up mm -hmm. on that vote. The Northwest Side. So this fight is not over. Paul Vallis got over 50% of the vote on the North Side. Uh, <laughs> they voted for Paul Vallis. Uh, so I absolutely believe that. It is by no, Chicago has no, by no means asserted itself as a lefty city. Mm -hmm. I absolutely think it's right. still up in the air as mm -hmm. to who's in charge. I do not disagree so, with you. I have a question that I sort of want to direct at Moise uh, as our teacher representative on this panel. Um, you know, as in this new school year, what can we expect in terms of CPS, CTU relations? What's, what's, now that the Chicago Teachers Union has presumably the friendliest mayoral administration they've ever had to deal with, probably, what, what are you hearing you know, as, a, as a member of the union? What, what, what are your expectations? What are you hearing? Man. Uh, so, you know, after Mayor Johnson won, um, my dad texted me, he's like, congratulations for not going on strike. And I like, you know, I was like, we'll see about that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think like, you know, amongst the rank and file members that were around, we have our group chat, you know, folks that I've organized with who are like family, you know, the expectation this year, I, and you know, there's folks in the crowd who've been in CTU a lot longer, but I always felt, you know, I've been here for six years. I felt when we were going into a Lori and Rom type t situation, and speaking about Rom mainly as like someone who was supporting the teachers union wherever they, wherever I could while I was in school. Um, you know, I've, like this time of the year, you would see an excessive amount of getting together, planning out, you know, what the idea is for what our demands are going to be. Um, it's been a lot more lax. I, I think. When I look at what our friends are saying, I mean, it's everything's on the table, right? But we also know it's a long-term thing. There's a tier one, tier two pension thing. We want to fight that. Um, there's a fight over, you know, sustainable community schools turning into a sustainable uh, community district, right? I think that's what we're kind of heading towards and kind of keeping that up. But one of the profound challenges, and we see it rear its head today with like, the question around bus drivers, right? Like, I'm grateful that we've decided last year was magnet schools and selective enrollments were getting priority in getting these buses. Was that last year or was I off? Two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. And today's break was talking about, well, now they're gonna prioritize our most vulnerable students, special education. Um, but one of the big struggles that I think deeply about is that we won these fights to get a nurse in every school. Wow, what an amazing idea, right? A nurse in every single school. Um, a social worker, right? The pipeline has been decimated for so long that even when you're like, we won, they're like, who are you gonna hire? Yeah. Right? Um, where the money coming from? That's where my heart is at. Because, you know, like, I, personally, to me, speaking, 
I want a Ms. Zolt who is my librarian in every damn school. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that's where our heart is, but we also have bigger fights, the pensions. Mm -hmm. We have a fight around, uh, you know, the stabilizing our schools, making sure people get support. I had a friend yesterday who was like, man, what do you think about we start a fight where like student teachers start getting paid? I'm like, yes, right? But again, finite money in a, in a city that has been decimated by the rich. Right, right now they're trying to be slick and say, yeah, you know, bring Chicago home's great. Let's all bring it home. But how about marginally, not flat, right? Like, so we got a lot. But I know it is, it does mean a lot to know that the mayor of this city was a former educator who also was spending thousands and thousands of dollars of his own in a classroom, like you. Yeah. If somebody feels more comfortable raising your hand and just shouting your question, that's also fine. Also, I can repeat it into the mic if someone says a question. Yeah, okay. Um, I can speak pretty loudly, though. Yeah, since this thing uh, yeah. is recording over here, this uh, is recording yeah. from the, 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 yeah, so I can also repeat the question if somebody doesn't feel like coming up here, but thank you for being brave. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't Um, I want to thank you first for your hard work with Cops Out to PS as well. Um, as an abolitionist, I definitely agree that schools are the last places cops should be. Um, I ran for LSE and won at Morgan Park with the express intention of removing SROs, which did not even come close to happening, as the only people who spoke against this were me and a conflict resolution specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, when thinking about that and how we view the future of LSEs, deep democracy, relinquishing narrow mandates, how does that square with removing cops? If the LSC wants to keep them, especially as many of the schools who have SROs still also have vacancies on their LSCs. So when do we step in against the democratic process when the result is objectively bad for students learning? Um, when we come together and say that, because we get to the point like, so when you're fighting for the SRO, they only say that they, if you cancel your contract, you only get the money for safety reasons. So like, more security guards or you know so the eighty thousand dollars that pays that cps pays to the cop in the school mm -hmm. the it doesn't go to nothing else but safety and so we as the lsc have to say no 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 cps we want all that coin but we also want it to go towards a math teacher we want it and that's the thing that we don't see because and this is coming from my perspective at Hyde Park, they love their cop, our oh so beautiful cop. What will happen if he does not have a job here at Hyde Park? He's still a, a cop. He will still, I literally almost this, got pulled this over. This was the perspective of your fellow LSC yes. members. Yes, this was what, what will happen to our cop? What will happen? People, and then they thought about fear. If you are, if I'm in a classroom and someone gets up and say, you are wrong for the way you said something to me, I gotta call the police on them. No, you need to learn how to respect students. You need to learn how to grow as an adult. You need to learn how it's 2023 and these kids have been damaged by the pandemic and about, gee, the world that happens outside of these doors. And you need to be more sensitive. And no, no one thinks like that. And so back to your point of that, we have to come together and say that the only option here is to get rid of the SRO because if we want more teachers, more social workers, we want more things to help our school flow, the way it's supposed to, we have to switch the tables over. Hyde Park bamboozled me when I first went there. I went there because I thought it was a career academy where I could learn how to do my hair and go to the culinary school. None of that stuff was there when I went there. 
And so when I got on the LSC, my, my thing was that I'm gonna fight to get those things back. And when I fought to get those things back, I was stonewalled by CPS saying, I mean the LSC saying, well the principal saying that has nothing to do with our decision. You have to go to CPS. So when we fought for cops out of CPS, we had to change the whole narrative that we could fight back for the stuff that we lost. We had to say, well, we just want to make ourselves safer. And so safety relies on covering all of these boundaries of making sure there's a therapist, a full-time one at that, making sure there's a full-time social worker, making sure there's a full-time psychologist, making sure there's a full-time nurse, making sure there's a full-time librarian, making sure that students have the necessary needs to make sure before you think about they may hurt me, what, who is hurting them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where I'm at with Cops Like CPS. So I, I have something to add to that too. So when we voted for Cops Out of CPS, I was working at Bogan High School. Um, and they're very pro-cop. And what I did notice, what I think is one thing that has to change, we have to do a lot more of education to our teachers, to our staff, about what policing really does. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these a lot of these teachers and even parents are under the impression that policing schools makes them better. You can look at the numbers and see that as a police officer enters a school, it only escalates those situations that would have been a talk with the counselor, a suspension, which we shouldn't be doing either, into an arrest, into a felony. We are setting these kids up to not be able to graduate. You tell me your bottom line is graduate, 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 graduate. How from jail? Mm -hmm. So now it becomes what do you? What do we need to show you? What do we need to tell you to show you that this is not working? Mm -hmm. That cop doesn't do anything for Can't you. Can't do anything. Mm -hmm. The teachers, when I looked at the results from our votes, they were saying like, what if something happens? What mm -hmm. if some things have happened before? The students still smacked you if they did. Mm -hmm. What did the cop do? <laughs> Where was the cop? When you have a fight, the students still get hurt. What did the cop do? He can't break up a mutual combat. 101 is considered mutual combat. So they can't break up no 101 fight. Yeah. If me and Louise jump Megan, that <laughs> is gang, uh, that is mob action. And so, that is considered a crime. I think we need to be very realistic. We know that this is a very cop-heavy world, cop, mm -hmm. pro-cop world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see that that gets into people's brains to where they are not even in reality. Where's the protection that you got? Where's, show me the material proof of this person helping you, of helping a student. If you can bring me any student, bring them here. They can't, right. but then they'll write, this is protecting me. Right. Because why? They've been told, cops protect you. Right. Have you seen it? No. Have you felt it? No. So I think we have to start really with our teachers, educating our teachers on what it means to be politically left. Because you can't be left and pro-cop. Mm -hmm. uh, Louise, at your high school, what was it, was there a vote on getting the cops out? At Clemente? Yeah. Uh, and when, uh, what about at North oh, Grand? Uh, at North Grand, I wasn't there when the initial vote happened and we've been trying to revisit it and it's similar hurdles. You know. The Are there cops in your school? There's one. We had two, and then we reduced it to yep, one. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened at Bowling too. Yeah, it's a pain, and that's something that you know we've been working really hard. But it's 
I mean, policing culturally is so interesting because people genuinely throw these things out at you without flinching, right? Like, oh, this cop's keeping the school safe. And I would love to get a series of parents and ask them, what do you think the cop's doing in school? Because I see what old boy's doing every time I walk by his office. <laughs> you know, like, and they're not stopping fights. They, and I don't want to hear the officer-friendly BS. They're not yes. building any relationships no. with anybody at they all. They can't build relationships. They can't, right. They're legally bind to not right. be able to talk to your right. children. But it's it's genuinely this like thing, right? Like where you even see educators at the end of the day, thank you for keeping us safe. From what? From what? No, like, from the students. What, right? That's like, issues. From the students. And, and, those are, and those are things we have to fight. But like for so many of us, like, I, you know, Propaganda is just, un Ooh. it's unreal, right? Like, and many people do believe a school is safer if there's more police officers. And even in this era of just school shootings, right, where we see officers not doing their responsibility and even finding the reporting where people say it's not their job to stop a school shooting, mm -hmm. right? Like, the, it, it hasn't changed. And the answer to everything, as my hero Myra Glassman would tell me, you gotta organize. Well, that, okay. You gotta talk to parents about that stuff. You yeah, have to, like, ask them about that. The, the reality yeah. is that, this is what I was tying to what I said before, this, a huge chunk of the city disagrees with you guys. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. A huge chunk. Mm -hmm. Paul Vallis got 48% of the vote. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was only his MAGA ties, I believe, that Trump, that, that, let's yeah. use that word. Yeah. Yeah. That he, he was that. a MAGA man, and that, that that message got out and enough people turned on for that. But most people in this city, I think, would disagree with the point of view that you're expressing. Yeah. So it's, again, what I said, it's a matter of you gotta go out, you gotta win, you gotta get your voters out, you, you gotta convince people that your way is the right way. Um, if you lose that election, that's a democracy. You lost that election. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if the LSC says, we want the police in our school, you have lost the election. You have to live with that, and then you have to go convince people that your way is the right way. Because you can't just proclaim. This is not like, you're not like, unfortunately, you're not like MAGA. You just can't proclaim that the election really went your way, even though it didn't go your way. And, uh, but the first thing we could do, Chairwoman Taylor, is to get the police department to pick up the, the cause. This I'll never understand about the Board of Education. Why they let them, they let Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Mayor Rahm talk them into picking up the tab. <laughs> it was clueless. You know, at least let everybody, nobody ever objects to a police budget. You know what I'm saying? So if you have the police pay for the police in the schools, no one's gonna complain. You think all those aldermen who voted against that settlement are gonna vote against the police department budget? If it's Yeah, they're not. But no, we get, we're so dumb in this city. We get the schools to pick up the Anyway. Yeah. I, I do think, again, I'm gonna kind of be the optimist on this side, but I do think like even in 2019, when you have someone passing by the street when we were at Clemente and they were like, what are you all striking for? I'm like, a nurse in school. The guy was like, I'm sold, man, bless you. Right, guy comes back five minutes later with like a bunch of cookies. He's like, I, I love you guys, I appreciate what you're fighting for. Like, I think if you talk to your neighbors, again, propaganda is insane, right? But you say something about treatment, not trauma, and having 
a dedicated so support for people in crisis, reopening the clinics, and people like, are like, ah, yes, like, like right. And, <laughs> you know, so many people during the campaign made the connection of like us starting, you know, or like paramedics and then emergency response. Like these are things that improve society, but again, it's people's awareness, right? Like we all grew up in this era of like the cops are the good guys, right? Like mm -hmm. I had to have an honest conversation with my nephew three years ago because he kept thinking, you know, he played like a Spider-Man game where Miles Morales' dad was a cop. And he's like, cops are, like, cops are great, right? And I was like, let's talk about cops for a bit, right? Like, it, but like, you know, I'm the generation that grew up on cops and robbers, right? Like, mm -hmm. my mom has a humiliating photo of me dressed as a police officer for Halloween, right? So these are the things we have to do, but I also think we don't give people enough credit when we lay the cards out and say, like when people are like, oh, the teachers are, you know, like the news is saying the teachers are on strike again and people assume it's money. But then when you see we're fighting for basic decency of students, uh -huh. opinions change. Or you just talk to folks and say, it was a goddamn tragedy to shut down public mental health clinics. Mm -hmm. People get that. Sorry. Yeah, that, I think. Uh, we got a question back there and then here. Uh, you, you can shout it out, I can repeat it, however you feel more comfortable. Sure. Um, I guess sort of on the line of what y'all are saying right now, something Ling brought into this was that a lot of the reason that this happens is because the people are feel like they're being protected from the students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I would be interested to hear if you guys can talk about how you build, I guess, a sense of solidarity between people who are working in these, you know, in these institutions, in, in the schools, and the, the actual people who are, you know, the students, and how you bridge that. So, how do you build solidarity between the workers in the schools and the students? Um, so, for me, uh, especially, so what I notice is the schools that are most underfunded are going to be the most hostile. They're going to be the schools that are most pro-police. They're going to be the schools that are most pro-punishment, everything. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, I, I honestly think COVID worked to my advantage in this and learning this about uh, relationship and relationship building and modeling it to other teachers. But so like for my first graders, they were a lot of fights and all type of stuff. Sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade too. I implemented nap time for my first graders. I implemented meditation. We learned how to do conflict resolution. The school didn't like it, but the school also doesn't have another teacher. What you gonna do, fire me? So after one to two months, oh, you see, my kids are not fighting. They learn to not need the teacher to handle conflict. They learn these things, and I think, and I hate that it has to be that way in CPS, but sometimes you just really gotta do something. They gonna be pissed off about it, and then they'll see it work. And it's, Every single time I've been successful doing something for students when it turns to relationship building, it's because of that. It's because at the end of the day, those children know I'm on your side and I want what's best for you. Yeah, I'm gonna be on your ass about college, applications, homework, essays, but also I'm not gonna let nobody disrespect you. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna let you use the bathroom because you deserve that. I'm gonna let you do the things that provide students with dignity. So if you are, I've worked in so many CPS schools. I've never had a student disrespect me. I've never had a student put their hands on me. And it's not because I'm just some lucky gold star teacher. I just realized that children are people. Mm -hmm. And they feel that. Yeah. So I think a lot of the relationships, 
a lot of the relationship building that needs to happen between staff and students is going to start with the adults recognizing the power dynamic and recognizing that it's wrong. A lot of our students, uh, a lot of our teachers are very teacher-centered, me-centered. I run everything in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Teachers have to learn to let go of some of the control. Teachers and administrators have to learn to be okay with noise. Teachers have to learn to be okay with that kid that needs to walk around because he has sensory processing disorder or ADHD. We have to learn to be flexible for our students because a lot of the things that are coming into like punishments and that ruin relationships are not things that matter at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. If you got your belly button showing and you can still do your math product or project, what does it have to do with me? Yep. If you can write your essay with spaghetti straps, what does it have to do with me? Yes. So a lot of these things that we spend so much time and money policing are not things we need to worry about. In my 6th, 7th, 8th grade English classroom, I stopped. They had our bathrooms locked. Our students could not go to the bathroom but two times a day. That is horrific. I let them go anytime. They say, oh, this is going to be a problem. They're going to want to go all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then after a week when they realized the novelty wore off, wore off, guess what? It went back to normal. And nothing happened. Nobody died. Nobody. It, the school didn't burn down because we let kids go to the bathroom. We have to learn to trust our process and trust our students in letting them take some steps, letting them take some risks, and letting them mess up without having to ruin their school career. Mm -hmm. So it's going to start with adults. And it's going to start with adults letting go of those reins because that's them thinking they should have all this power is just simply not the way classrooms should be. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's not working. Mm -hmm. My thing is educating people. People don't be and people don't be reading on nothing, <laughs> on nothing. Like, <laughs> It is really, and I'm a policy student, so I like to dissect the mug out of everything. I don't care if it say, thou shall, who is thou? And what shall they be doing before we start going on into what's going on here? Because now it's a gray area in between thou. Does thou mean cis, cis women or does thou mean transgender women that are able to still do this? Let's just, let's just, let's, let's just you know, take it upon ourselves to, you know, digest this. And... When I talked about the contracts, I whoa-wowed everyone when I pulled out the contract out of my purse and said, this is what your dear officer is supposed to be doing. <laughs> Everybody like, oh, so he can't say good morning, he can't coach a football team, he can't, he can't do nothing, he can't, he can't hug us, he, he not supposed to be going out with us on the weekends? No, no, this is a police officer. That, that high park police officer was coaching the wrestling team. Yes, that's what I'm saying. They're not able to do that type of stuff. And people still say, we're officer friendly. This is what's supposed to be a part of our narrative. You are shoving an officer into this community before you even shove a, a nurse, before you even shove a counselor. You are throwing upon us a police officer. And so when we talk about bringing solidarity, I think the first thing about solidarity is educating everybody about what one y'all should be doing as adults, y'all should be doing as parents, y'all should be doing as teachers, y'all should be doing as whatever because you can't run a school without no students. Yeah. Have you ever seen a school who run without no students? I'm just gonna sit here and wait. Wait, so I just wanna understand this. So a police officer who is an employee mm -hmm. of High Park is, is prevented in the contract yes. from being the wrestling coach. Yes. But 
Mm -hmm. If he's a police officer who lives across the street from Hyde Park High School and he works on, on the west side of Chicago, nowhere near Hyde Park, can he on his own time volunteer to be if a wrestling coach? If he is coach? not in his white or blue, he's able to do that. Not in his capacity. Yep, as if he's not being paid, he's not able to do that. As long as you are on city time and city dime, you are only doing what city time and city dime is capable so of doing. So this do. police officer that was situated at Hyde Park Academy while on the job as a police officer situated at Hyde Park Academy was the wrestling coach. Yes, he will only take off his his bulletproof vest and his blue shirt and wear his tight old shirt and his in his pants with his belt still on wrestling the coach. But most importantly, and I think that y'all already know about this, but this was the same officer that shot someone and still came back this to the school. This is a reader. This is a reader mm -hmm. investigation. This yes. Mm -hmm. So this was the officer Wright shot, I think it was, a, was it a student? Yeah. yeah, it was another student and he was still able to be an officer in Hyde Park Academy. Came back to work the next day. So what is the issue? That's what I'm saying. And y'all talk about that we these are the people that are supposed to protect us, but these are the people that are sitting here harming us. And this and 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 I'm a, and being an abolitionist, you have to deepen yourself into restorative justice. And so my quote: "The more I know about you, the less I am to harm you." Yeah. And the teachers forget that part. They forget that part. The administration forget that part. They even forget that every student is not the same, and some people need help. And so that's just it's just that's the that's the issue. And so the more I know about you, the less I am to harm you. That's how you build solidarity. Starting off with saying we're wiping the slate clean and we're starting with sort of justice. We are trusting each other first. And then maybe if this don't work out, we may have to call in reinforcements. But until we build a, a, a thing of trust, like Hyde Park or not, we're they are not allowed to have cell phones in the school. They are not to allow uh, not allowed to wear anything but your Hyde Park jacket. The Hyde Park jacket costs thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. Everybody in Hyde Park can't afford one school jacket. People can't even afford the $15 school shirt. Or, and mind you, I didn't even got my diploma yet from the, the actual diploma. I graduated, but because I'm $600 in the hole for school fees, I don't even have the visible diploma. They are still holding my diploma hostage to this day. Mm -hmm. This is, and this is an issue. We're not trusting each other, but we're willing to give 10 point something million to people that we don't know. So we have time for one more question. So maybe you're a good one. Uh, and uh, yeah, because the time is flying and uh, we wanna uh, let you all get on with the evening and uh, get out of this beautiful space that we were so generously welcome in. So go ahead. I think one hallmark of local school councils is this tension between local control and centralized control between the district and other powers over the district. Uh, three years ago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is the one who created the mechanism to push the decision to keep police in schools down to local school, school councils. Mm -hmm. Largely, I think, as a mechanism to cover herself. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You already knew that, though, girl. How long do we hang on to that mechanism, and when do we push that back up to centralized power? I think we should do it immediately. I do not believe, and I said immediately, because I do not believe, unless you look at each and every one of the schools and see the necessary needs first, before you used to call in reinforcements. Some schools don't even have a full-time social worker 
but you want to make sure that a full-time cop is there, I think it should go back as soon as possible. And also, while we're on the LSC level, there should be limited terms. There is no way, there is no way some lady should be on the LSC for 20-some years. I'm so sorry, Mitchell. But she was on the models to LSC for 20 years consecutively, uncontested. We know she a winner. But I feel like <laughs> at the same time, there is no way that Miss Sheila, Miss whoever should be on there talking about a new generation of kids that she probably ain't even went to the school and met yet. That is an issue, and I feel like that should be centralized and constrained into criteria when it comes to being an LSC member. You can only do two or three terms, and then you're gone. And also, when it comes to the SRO vote, we should look at the data of each school. And if you look at High Park's data, there has been zero in the last school year, zero calls to the police department. Why is he there? See, okay, so everybody's experience is shaped what they've dealt with. So you've dealt with uh, LSC. I go back, Jeanette Taylor goes back, not as far as back as I go. <laughs> Just hearing someone say, give it to the central authority, I'm like breaking out in a sweat. I have been through so many bad decisions by central authority administrators going back to the 70s. They don't listen to teachers. They had all these curriculum ideas that they shoved down the throats of teachers. That each one was dumber than the others. But I always thought it was somebody on the inside that uh -huh. had the contract. You know, uh, that's what I'm just about to say. We got our, our good leftist mayor. We got a good leftist school board. Why is there an issue now? What is the issue about giving it back to this district? All our friends is up there. All our cousins. All our everybody. Them our cousins up there. I don't understand what's the issue. We're going to get the last word to Megan. We got to wrap up. I think. Um, we need to start. I don't think it's even a question of if the LSC decides or centralized power decides. We all know that this is not a good idea. At this point, it's not even about who decides. It's about how we make it happen. Because when we look at teachers, when we look at schools, we are scrutinized for our performance day in and day out. However, there is no data to support police anywhere, anywhere in the city, especially schools. So we could, I think we have to sort of broaden how we're playing the game because we are at that disadvantage. You want to have a cop in our school? Show me the data that supports it. Show it to me. And when they come empty-handed, I can't do anything for you. I can't. Because if my kids don't get a good enough English score, I'm not here. So if we have kids that's fighting or still having trouble, why are you here? Mm -hmm. yeah. Every decision we make as a school is scrutinized. They look at data, 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 data. And then as soon as it comes to police and violence, nobody can read a percent. So, I think that is where we start. It's not even about who makes decisions. It's about how we make a decision. Mm -hmm. And this decision is not supported financially. It's not supported by data. It's not supported by student experiences, by parent experiences. Who is it serving? Thank you so much, Megan Franklin, organizing would not mean we right now, right? Any yes. other organizations you want to shout out? Um, oh, Law Center for Better Housing is also working with our tennis union as well. Okay, we Chicago Teachers Union, as always. Any other organizations, United Working Families? Yeah, UWF 50, uh, love them, love them, love them. Lift the Band Coalition, yeah. 
Okay. And Lake Young? Um, stop. Stop. Um, we um, Coco. Um, the 24 office, you know, Tay Tay Baby, 20th in No Way. Um, <laughs> Hyde Park, my students, the Stop Youth, um, Stop Them. Um, yeah, and then um, find them yeah. on all of your social media. We are first underscore Tuesday, uh, first underscore Tuesdays on Instagram. So if you don't follow us already, please do so. We're also on Facebook at First Tuesday Chicago. Uh, thank you so much to Blanc for hosting us tonight. Thank you. <laughs> special, special shout out to Dave Lawrence for doing our sound. It's the show on 100 Days of the Brandon Johnson Administration with some special guests. So please come through to the promontory. You can find all the information um, on our social media already. Any last words, Ben? Yeah, last words. Uh, so, some of you have great faith in the administration and they're your cousins and everything. <laughs> all of your cousins, mm -hmm. tell them to come to our September show and call your cousin Brandon Johnson. We invited him to be a guest, but he hasn't. He hasn't told us if he's going to be the guest, okay? I still was trying to, we may be a little too left for him today, Taylor. Uh, so. Jeanette, call your cousins. Yeah, call your cousins, okay? <laughs> Since you have so much faith in your cousins. <laughs> anyway, yes, we're going to do it on Brandon Johnson, and maybe he will be there with us. Thank you all for coming out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.